folks, and welcome to the Fallon Forum, where we bring you progressive voices and civil dialogue across the political divide. This is Ed Fallon, your host, and we're coming to you from the heart of America's heartland, Des Moines, Iowa. If you value what we do, we need your support. Uh, visit the donations page of the Fallon Forum website and sign up for a monthly pledge or whatever you can do. We've been going on nearly 13 years now, publishing this program continuously at least once a week. Uh, thanks to the local businesses who help make this program possible, including Gateway Market and Cafe. That's a locally owned grocery and specialty food store in the heart of Des Moines. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. You can also order groceries online and use Gateway's catering and floral services. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. And thanks also to Western Optometry, located in Des Moines' East Village. Uh, Dr. Joel Westerman and his staff are fluent in both Spanish and English. The clinic is open Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. until 5 p.m., and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry. Okay, so folks, my in-studio guest today is former Democratic lawmaker and current Trump supporter, uh, <laughs> Joel Brown. Uh, Joel, welcome to the program. Thank you. Yeah, good to have you here. Hey, folks, um, I want you to know this is a new effort. Uh, we invite listeners to call in during the live broadcast each Monday from 4 to 5 p.m. Central Time. You can go to the Found Forum Facebook page, where some of you are now. You'll see the live stream, and then here's what you do. First, make sure you've got a good phone connection with not a lot of background noise. Next, if you want to respond to something brilliant that I say or something ridiculous that Joel says, uh, send a... <laughs> I know I'm starting early here, aren't I? Uh, send a text message to 515-238-6404. That's 515-238-6404. And just send me your first name, hometown, and then, finally, after you sent that text message, call the same number. And if I can, I'll get your call. If we've got somebody else on the line, hang up. Try back in a few minutes. We'll get you then. Okay, so um, today Joel and I are discussing whether or not it's time to perform an autopsy on the Democratic Party. Uh, we're specifically looking at the Iowa Democratic Party because that's what we're most familiar with. But the question certainly applies to fading Democratic structures across the country, especially in red states, maybe even more notably in states that are were purple ones and have kind of turned red, like Iowa. So, Joel, some are saying that the Democratic Party is um, not what it used to be, um, including, uh, including this guy right here. As coroner, I'm a suffer. I thoroughly examined her. And she's not only merely dead, she's really most sincerely dead. My favorite, uh, my favorite Munch Munchkin scene. I don't think there's anything left to say. <laughs> well, there's plenty to say. I mean, <laughs> I, here, here's what I want to look at. Okay, so we just had a special election here in Iowa, Jasper County. I mean, you represented mm -hmm. rural Iowa for, yes. what, four years? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so Jasper County, probably similar to some of the areas you represented. Jasper County was Democratic back when you were a rep in the 1980s. For the full time, I was a rep in the 90s, early 2000s. It was a Democratic, democratically represented county until last week. And Democrats would win by as much as two to 4,000 votes out of, what, thirteen to 15,000 cast. Well, last week, in two very good candidates, the Republican candidate won by almost a thousand votes. Joel, what's going on here? <laughs> well, I, I think it's part of an ongoing, um, an ongoing 
move of, of blue collar and, and working class people out of the Democratic Party. Um, not maybe exclusively that, but it there's definitely been a shift over you know the last 10 or 15 years. It seems to be accelerating. I think you saw a lot of that with Trump's results, you know, even even Trump 16 to Trump 20. Um, I, I don't know that, you know, at least with tr the trajectory that it's on, that the Democratic Party has anything left really to offer people <laughs> in that group. So what, why, what, what, what caused this? I mean, you were a Democratic state legislator. Now you're a Republican. You voted for Trump. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to tell people where you live. Uh, no. <laughs> no, I'm joking. But the, um, you, know, you, but the, the, you were a Democrat. And somehow the, the party has gone well beyond whatever you imagined it to represent when you served. I, I was not only a Democrat, I was a liberal Democrat. I was probably, I mean, at the time I was serving, you know, one of the 10 or 15 most liberal um, members of, you know, of the legislature. Uh, but it's not at all what I understood the Democratic Party to be. I mean, that's, you what, know. What's I, changed? What's missing? I don't know. I mean, I think it's, it's. I mean, if I was going to put my finger on any one thing that's changed, it's the whole woke movement and the degree <laughs> to which that's taken over the Democratic Party. You know, I, my Democratic Party supported free speech. My Democratic Party supported the right of people to kind of conduct their lives in the way that they needed to do that. You know, it, it supported a domestic economy that, you know, working working class people depend on. They, that's the path into the middle class. And none of those things, what you are seeing, I think, is a fusion of big business and big government. You know, the suppression of free speech, you know, you, the people can't disagree. You can't, if you say the wrong thing or you've made the wrong tweet 10 or 15 years ago, your career is destroyed. This is not the Democratic Party that I belong to. Folks, if you're listening to the uh, live stream of this program, you can uh, you can join us uh, with your thoughts at 515-238-6404. Again, send me a text message first and then call 515-238-6404. Uh, so, uh, yeah, but here's my question based on that. So the Democratic Party is not doing a very good job at representing the values that you once held to be central to your your reasons for being a Democrat, or as you said, one of the more liberal members of the Iowa House back in the 80s. So is the Republican Party filling that void for you? No, I mean, not really. I mean, it's, I, I'm not, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess I would have, would have characterized myself as a populist at the time and, and continue to be. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure because I don't see the Republican Party as an establishment really pushing back on any of that either. I see, you know, Republicans, especially at the national level in the, the Senate and the House, you know, are really more interested in kind of maintaining their their little fiefdoms. And, and that's kind of all. I mean, I don't feel like an orphan. I mean, I did just change my <laughs> registration from Democrat to Republican, but um, only because I got a ballot. Registration thing in the mail. I wouldn't have probably bothered otherwise. <laughs> well, let's go to our phone lines. Uh, I want to welcome uh, John from uh, Des Moines to the program. Hello, John. Good afternoon, Abe. How you doing? 
I'm doing well. How are you? Good. What's your uh, thought on the uh, angle we're, we're pursuing today? Well, these things always go in pendulum uh, swings. Right now, we have Trump, who's pulled a lot of folks who may have historically been Democratic over to the Republican side. Uh, Nixon did the same thing uh, back in my youth. Uh, Ronald Reagan did the same thing. Then it swings back. Clinton pulled a lot of people who were otherwise Republican over to the Democratic side, and so did Barack Obama. Okay, but the, the, yeah, sure, but the pendulum swings historically, but it looks like we've not had, I don't see a pendulum swinging anymore. I see a, a, a large stone rolling down the hill, and at the bottom of the hill is the Democratic Party. <laughs> and it was only in 2012 that the Republican Party was doing postmortems on how they lost so badly, and they were worried about the future of their party. They were panicked that the, 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 the party had no future at all. Joel? I mean I, I mean, I see that point, but I would say at that same time in 2012, Republicans controlled two-thirds of the state legislatures. They controlled a lot of the governorships. Um, I, I agree with Ed. I mean, I think the movement's in one direction. I don't think that there is a swing. And I'm not, I'm not suggesting that the Republican Party is offering a good alternative. I'm saying that the Democratic Party as as a as a political party that can represent average, normal, regular Americans is 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 no more. So, um, John, you're, if the pendulum is swinging, what does the next movement of the pendulum looks like? Well, we don't know. Nobody saw Barack Obama coming until he came. Uh, nobody saw Bill Clinton coming, you know, until that happened. Uh, I, I don't know who's going to be the next great personality on the Democratic side. I think you're underestimating the, the, the impact of personality and people. Okay, ba- 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 back to my example of Jasper County, a seat that was Democratic forever, House seat, um, where Democrats won it by two to 4,000 votes. They lost it by 1,000 votes last week. I don't know the candidate personally, but if I recall correctly, the Democratic candidate was well over my age, well over my age plus 10 years, I'm 65. So I believe the candidate was in their 80s. I'm not sure that's the best person to put up in order to capture and motivate a lot of new people to come in and vote. If you put up a new um, person who's talking a lot of uh, good, progressive, innovative ideas and legalizing marijuana and a bunch of other good, I think you'll have a lot of people sit up and take notice. What about the fact that I've got a guy in the studio here who is a liberal Democratic state legislator, and there are, there are others who fit the same description who is gave up on the party and now is a Republican. How do you, what, what, where, does he, where does he fit in on the pendulum? <laughs> there are an awful lot of Republicans who have um, run away from the party right now because of Trump. Steve Schmidt is a national Republican, or I think I'm getting his name right, who uh, was manager of John McCain's campaign. He's a Democrat now. Um, you know, people people swing back and forth, but again, I think I think these things go in eras, and the future of the Democratic Party, particularly if we focus on economic and social justice, is real strong. All right, John. The other, I... thing, you have to, the other thing you have to think about also is demographics. The demographics 
are turning more, both in Iowa and nationally, towards Democrats. Rural Iowa, for better or worse, is thinning out. And that is the face (laughs) of the Republican Party. Ouch. John, i got to run to a short break. Uh, Thank you for calling. Uh, Before we do, though, Joel, I want to give you one more chance to respond to what uh, John was saying. Um, I mean, I would say, first of all, I mean, there certainly is is movement in both directions. Um, Where I was ideologically, though, in the spectrum is not at all where somebody who's a a McCain staff person or or manager is at. McCain was very much, you know, middle of the road, and the people that supported him and worked for him were middle of the road. I was not. I do agree with the Democratic uh, demo, uh, demographics, so I think that there is that's that's making a difference. And over time, you know, it's the population has moved a little bit to the left. All right, hey, we got to take a short break, folks. Meaning the live stream is going to continue, but I've just got to take a second. To uh, thank some of our local business partners. Thanks for uh, joining us back in just a minute. And again, if you want to call 515-238-6404. So thanks to our local business partners, including Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. Our cat loves her, our chickens love her, I suppose. And you can learn more about the clinic at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page. Also, thanks to Architecture by Synthesis, adamantly and actively supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Owner Mark Klipsham believes in building better health for both people and the planet. And the services he provides are committed to that goal. That's architecture by synthesis. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. You're responsible for a lot, and it's easy to become overwhelmed, to feel helpless, even hopeless. What's not so easy is finding your way back to feeling and functioning better. Psychiatrist Dr. David Drake helps individuals and couples throughout Iowa with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. Dr. Drake also prescribes medication when needed, and his services are offered on a self-pay basis. If you need help, don't delay. Contact Dr. Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. My in-studio guest today is former Democratic lawmaker and current Trump supporter, uh, Joel Brown. Today, Joel and I are discussing whether or not it's time to perform an autopsy on the Democratic Party. Um, Who do we got on the phone? This is Lisa from Des Moines. Lisa from Des Moines, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. Okay. It's a beautiful day here. <laughs> well, we're discussing the Democratic Party, and is it too early to say, okay, this creature is dead and gone, or uh, is there some life in it? The last caller thought it was um, just a question of the pendulum spinning. Uh, uh, um, uh, what's the word? Not spinning. What do pendulums do? Swinging. They, Swinging they, back the other they way. They go back and forth. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. They and, go back and forth. <clears throat> so what do you think, uh, Lisa? Is, this, uh, is the Democratic Party... Um, 
passe or is there hope for it? Um, I am going to say that uh, there should be no hope for the Democratic Party. <laughs> Those of us who are American liberals, and whenever I say being an American liberal, I'm talking about John Stewart Mill, not Karl Marx. Okay. Um, so, like, just to give you an example, I'm, I'm just going to quote something out of John Stewart Mill. The okay. struggle between liberty and authority is the most conspicuous feature in portions of history in which we are earliest familiar. Okay, and we got so you got some company in the background there. Um, yeah, that's Ed, and I'm gonna have to shut him up. <laughs> Ed's, Ed's don't like to be told to get to shut up. This is this goes against our nature. So one of the one of the reasons why those of us who are liberal, and I and by liberal I mean an American liberal, gotcha. as your uh, guest today is is talking about the values of his Democratic Party free speech um i mean i i remember in my childhood we we really didn't like authoritarian police states it was liberals that uh really made a difference in bringing the vietnam war vets home and ending the vietnam war uh, we used to be an anti-war party we used to be a peace party at least those of us who were dyed in the wool Democrats. We did have liberal values that we do still have, but we don't have a home for those. So you don't think the Democratic Party is providing a home for those values? Not providing a home. They are violating those. They are violating every, every single one of our Bill of Rights is being violated by Democrats Incorporated. So, and my, and I have a rather different perspective because I grew up in Northwest Indiana in Chicagoland. So elections in Chicagoland are really the primaries. Whoever wins the Democratic primary, that's who your mayor is gonna be. Right. That's who your representative right. is going to be. So basically I grew up under the thumb of the Democratic Party. I grew up in the area where the Democratic political machine actually was born. Okay. So, so you, I've it's, seen it's, all of that. And so I see that the Democratic machine is just grinding us down. So it sounds like you. It sounds like you and Joel might be in agreement, but coming at it from a slightly different angle. Joel, I mm -hmm. agree with everything she just said. I mean, that's that's, you know, I mean, I, I think I've given this example before, but you know, my dad was a, a lifelong Democrat. My grandpa was a lifelong Democrat. They flew the flag. They were patriots. They served in the military. They loved the country, um, and those things even a generation ago were not mutually exclusive but we've reached a point where that's almost the case and you're right i mean it's inconceivable you know 30 40 years ago or less to even imagine you know a a, a white house contacting a media organization which essentially is what facebook is saying we don't <laughs> like this stuff take it off 
inconceivable that a Democrat could have done that um, because that was not what the party was, but it is now. It's, I, I agree with everything you said. It's disgusting. And I, I have a few more things to say. <laughs> um, I was, uh, in, in 2016, I was, a, I was a state delegate for Bernie Sanders. So I was at the Polk County Convention I was at the district convention that year. Of course, I went to all of them. Um, and so I, I have a perspective there as well, whenever we talk about particularly the First Amendment, but also whatever happened to innocent until proven guilty, um, whatever happened to, you know, freedom of speech, whatever happened to the right to be secure in our homes. So let me ask you this. In, so, 20, in 2016, there was a, uh, I mean, Sanders and, and, uh, and Hillary Clinton basically tied in Iowa. And in many states around the country, there you, you came out, what, what came out of that was a central committee or a ruling authority in the Democratic Party that was basically evenly split. And that that and that and it looks to me like the the new the the influx of new people, mostly the Sanders people, either were pushed aside or decided they weren't they just weren't going to play that game anymore. And now it seems to be like the business is back to usual, where you've got uh, an establishment that wants to control the party the way it always has been, and uh, and that's and it's and it's not and it's going to continue to see rural America as something you can just kind of ignore. And I know, I know there are well, people within well, the party gonna, that want to I'm do gonna, that. I'm going to go ahead and interrupt you there. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> um, okay, first of all, first of all, and, I, and I'm going to address what your co-host was just saying. Um, I grew up, obviously, in, around Gary, Indiana. My father was a steel worker, a union man. We were dyed-in-the-wool Democrats. Right. But you know what? Because I did not support Hillary Clinton, I was not a real Democrat. So let's revisit 2016 for a moment. 2016, I was at the Polk County Convention. I have also seen Troy Price's tweets from the Polk County Convention. And he's the, he's the former Democratic well, Party chair in Iowa. Yes. Right. And in 2016, he was actually a Clinton campaign operative. So... What I saw at the Polk County Convention was that Bernie Sanders won Iowa. Hmm. Okay, so let me just, let me just, uh, okay, so Bernie Sanders won Iowa. I can certainly understand why people would have wanted a more moderate stance and all of that. And so I'm not even going to talk about policy or issues. I'm going to talk about one main issue. And you've got a minute to do it because we've got to run to a break. I'm going to do it quickly. <laughs> Bernie Sanders won the 2016 primaries. The Hillary Clinton campaign rigged the primaries for Hillary Clinton. The DNC was bought out by Hillary Clinton lock, stock, and barrel after Barack Obama bankrupted them. Hmm. That's what happened. So then okay. after Hillary Clinton gets caught stealing the primaries because of the WikiLeaks emails that were published, which Julian Assange did not get from Russia, and after Hillary's own people did internal polling and discovered that one of the 
issues that was going to be hard for her to overcome was that uranium one dealing thing that was hitting okay. the news in 2015 and 2016 so they ginned up this whole russia gate thing let me I, now after wait 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 i want well, to finish please. okay after after Hillary Clinton lost what should have been a slam dunk election to Donald Trump in their minds. What did they do? They blamed the non-voter. I do not vote. Nobody has ever asked me why. Nobody's ever said anything to me about being, they're all Republican or, or Democrat or whatever. But what about those of us who don't vote? I don't vote. I didn't vote in 2016. Because you didn't feel you because you because you didn't feel you had a candidate you could support. Absolutely, Mm. and I've only at at that point I had voted in two elections, so I just did what I always do, and I did not vote. At any rate, there were some people who voted third party, some people who defected and voted for Trump. But anyways, regardless, there was only one choice. And if you did not vote for Hillary Clinton, you were canceled, you were ostracized, your voice was silenced. They tried to ask me after the whole thing was over, well, why do you think we lost? I said, well, you know, if we cleaned up the corruption in the party, people might want to vote for (laughs) us. And their response to that was to drop me from the discussion group well, and that's that's too bad. Silenced my voice, and then a few months later, they came out with those with those uh, speaking. Okay, yeah. so the so the whole got, thing I, with the censorship. Lisa, this got, all started way back in two in twenty sixteen. Lisa, I got to run to I got to run to a don't break. Don't want us to talk about the fact okay. that Hillary Clinton lost because she's a bad candidate. Okay, and, and if those Lisa, people would apologize to us. Maybe we could move forward. Okay. They've never apologized. I've got to run they to. A, to I've got to run to a break, Lisa, and I, I want to get Joel's uh, take on that. But I got to take a short break, and when we come back, I'll uh, get your take on that, uh, uh, folks. Back in a second here on the Fallon Forum. Again, you can uh, support the alternative to the right wing shock jocks by becoming a monthly sponsor. Please consider that. Uh, check out the Fallon Forum website or contact me at ed at fallonforum.com. Uh, thanks to the uh, local businesses, again, who support this program and also to our nonprofit partners, including Bold Iowa, building rural-urban coalitions to address climate change and push back against uh, CO2 and other pipelines. Learn more at boldiowa.com. Thanks also to Birds and Bees Urban Farm, offering classes on how to turn your yard into dinner. Get more information about classes and workshops and farm tours at birdsbeesurbanfarm.org. Groovy Goods is your Des Moines one-stop hippie shop. Located near Drake University, we are more than just a store. Groovy Goods is about community. We're a tribe brought together by peace, love, and rock and roll. You will be greeted by friendly staff, the smell of incense, the vibration of healing stones and crystals, the vibrant colors of clothing and tapestries, and an extensive herbal apothecary and metaphysical products. At Groovy Goods, everyone is welcome and no one is judged. Check us out online, groovy-goods.com, or stop in at the corner of 23rd and University in Des Moines. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. 
Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. My in-studio guest today is former Democratic lawmaker and current Trump supporter, uh, Joel Brown. Today, Joel and I are discussing whether or not it's time to perform an autopsy on the Democratic Party. Joel, uh, Lisa had a lot on her mind, um, and she feels really strongly about it. And I know she's not the only one. And maybe, uh, maybe I should be asking this question of a Democratic Party official not a former disenfranchised Democratic uh, elected official who, <laughs> who kind of agrees with everything she said. <laughs> what, what's your what's your take on 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 how, on how Lisa wrapped up what well, she? Well, I mean, I just had I, in her mind. I, I think most of what she said kind of goes to to what we talked about, which is, you know, that this is no longer a party that that represents average people. It's it's they're tied. I mean. Really, what, what I think we're seeing is this fusion of the Democratic Party and big business and big government. Um, and this, I mean, so all of those things make perfect sense. You know, you get a, the, the, the more you centralize the organization, the less normal, I mean, average people down here, people in the caucuses, people in the, in the conventions have a voice. I mean, and I don't think that's, I think that's by design. I mean, I think that's intentional. I don't know. Let me ask you this, though. Does, um, does the claim that uh, Hillary Clinton and the Democratic establishment essentially stole the 2016 election, does that ring true to you? It looks like it. I mean, it looks like what happened in the, in the 2020 primaries when Biden was resurrected from the dead, <laughs> I mean, for Super Tuesday. It's, you know, none of that looks, I mean, I don't know what happened, but none yeah. of it looks terribly above board to me. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> well, we could have a different conversation about what, what it means to have an election <laughs> stolen. Uh, I want to go to the phone line again. Welcome, uh, Dan from Newton. Hello, Dan. Welcome to the program. Hi, Ed. How you doing? Good, good. This is Dan Kelly. Oh, hey. One of the uh, people I mentioned when I mentioned the, uh, the Democrats who used to win Jasper County by between uh, two and 4,000 votes. Absolutely. I, uh, I was listening to your show here this afternoon and thought, uh, well, this is hitting pretty close to home. <laughs> I should give that a call and yeah. uh, offer my 10 cents on the uh, topic. Well, and, and um, I know I did, you go ahead. Uh, I did serve as state representative uh, for Jasper County and uh, for six years um, between 2011 and uh, uh, 2016 or so. And um, um Probably served as a Democrat, but I have uh, since changed parties, much like your guest today. Appreciate some of his comments that he's made, and, and just wanted to uh, call in and offer some stats to uh, uh, discuss what just happened in uh, the district that I uh, formerly represented that just flipped after 47 years of Democratic control. It's now a Republican seat, and it doesn't look like it's going to yeah. change anytime right. soon. And Joel used to represent, I think, uh, areas, uh, rural areas south and east of Des Moines. Yeah. And uh, have those been pretty much Republican since you left? 
I don't know. I mean, I the the only really Democratic county in my district was Monroe. Lucas has always been. Lucas yeah. has always been Republican, right. and Wayne has always been kind of borderline. So, 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 Dan, would you say Jasper County's experience is somewhat unique? Uh, well, I mean, again, it's a Democratic county that went not just Republican for the state legislature, both House and Senate, but also 64% went for Trump. Right. And, well, I think it's what you're seeing in many rural districts throughout Iowa. Um, but Newton does have its own unique story uh, with the uh, loss of the Maytag Corporation mm. and so forth. And uh, the story here can be told from both perspectives, and I think there's a lot of truth in, in both of those angles. Um, in the Around the year 2000, I don't have the exact stats on this one, but uh, the uh, Democrats held about a 2,500 advantage uh, over Republicans. In voter, regist- in voter, voter registration. registration. Okay. Um, and currently... I do have the exact numbers. Uh, There are currently 7,273 registered Democrats in Jasper County and 8,042 Republicans in Jasper County. And uh, so that's an advantage of 769 voters. That's quite a switch. Quite a switch. Yes, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, There are um, more independents than uh, either party. Um, uh, That's the the growing. the growing category. Um, in the House district that just flipped, uh, the Democrats actually hold an advantage of 263 voters and um, still lost the seat. So By 930 um, votes. Yes, yeah. by 930 votes. And wow. Yet the Democrats held an advantage of 263 wow. in voter registration over Republicans. And I think a lot of that can be attributed, of course, to some of the topics that have been discussed previously you know, um, specific issues and where's the heart of the Democratic Party and, and uh, uh, woke culture and, you know, this sort of thing. And I think there's there's elements of that, uh, certainly, here. I think people in rural communities tend to look at a lot of those topics uh, uh, differently than, than in a lot of the metropolitan areas. Uh, but uh, certainly we're seeing a lot of that here. But here in Jasper County, Again, it's a unique situation with Maytag um, because Maytag provided a lot of UAW votes, and those are all gone now. Um, And in fact, they've been gone since about 2006. But we have a local political bully club that uh, has really used the banner of Democratic Party and uh, some of those remaining uh, uh, you know, pieces of the Democratic Party have, have been able to um, keep their hand-picked candidates in those offices. And right. uh, I, I managed to get in office despite that well, and, and served yeah, for six years. And you still, and you, you still won the by... the Bully Club decided they wanted that seat, and they wanted to put one yeah. of their hand-picked candidates in it. They used AFSCME Votes, hmm. another union, uh, to uh, run a Democratic primary and, and yeah. beat me out of that uh, office. And you know, I just took a look at it and I thought, you know, um, you ought to put some issues aside here and realize <laughs> that uh, if there's going to be an autopsy on the Iowa Democratic Party, it's really about the people in control of that party and their desire to maintain that control. Yeah. And it's about their handpicked candidates and they look at union votes, not in terms of what they can do to, to help those members or, or, you know, constituents. They look at it in terms of, how many numbers are there? How much money can they give us? And, oh, if you want this particular candidate, it doesn't matter what he or she believes. 
or what they're going to go vote for. Uh, it's just it's it's what you want, so it's what you're going to get. Yeah. So, um, um, and, did you, before I uh, run to another break here, you can make lots of jokes about the 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 use of the term, the reference to autopsy. But the um, yeah. the bottom line is, is the Democratic Party is is it something? Is there something that could change in the Democratic Party? that would allow you and Joel and Lisa and other people to feel like they had a home there? Like, is there anything that would change that you would make you want to become a Democrat again? No, uh, frankly, I've, I changed parties. I am a Republican now and I've, I've been welcomed to a new home and I found some issues to uh, address within that uh, party. And uh, I'm happy with my decisions. Okay, but, the but best you, decisions I've made. But you, you, um, your issues haven't changed that much or have they? No, I think that the Republican Party understands rural Iowa much better than the Iowa Democratic Party. Okay. Um, I think that uh, the Republican Party is putting constituents first. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot okay. of the work that you know, and you know this very well, Ed, a lot of the work that you do in the legislature has to do with individuals yep. and their individual needs. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times you're helping folks with okay. issues with DHS or DNR or um, you know taxes or this sort of thing. The Republicans uh, take those things seriously. The Democrats, uh, and I'm not speaking about all of them, but but many of them, um, it's not about that. It's not about individual constituents and the work that you do to support the people that put you in office. It's about following the uh, orders of party bosses and Mm. union lobbyists and so forth. And the Republican Party doesn't have that. They put their constituents first and... Well, that's, that's why you that, saw John Dunwell win Jasper County okay. last week. Well, that's interesting. Uh, Dan, i got to run to a break shortly here. Thank you for calling. Yeah, um, yeah thank you, Ed. Good to... Oh, so, well, now... I tried to stop him. I tried to... We didn't even try to stop him. <laughs> From hanging Oh, hanging him, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Um, sorry. So, the, uh, when, when, before we... I, I want to get your take on the on the big picture question, Dan. Um, i got to run to a break, but I, I, I want to say one thing to what Dan was saying about... Um, about uh, Republican lawmakers who are responsive to constituent concerns. You know, I don't know whether that's true or not. I do know that there are lawmakers in Des Moines here who I can call, and they'll respond, and they'll 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 help. And there are other Democratic lawmakers, because, I mean, Des Moines is all Democratic. And there are Democrats in Des Moines who I can't get, including my own state representative, who will not give me the time of day. I can't get a return call. And I'm not the only one. I know other people have the same problem. They can't get the time of day. They, they, they can't get anything from their legislator. I don't know if it's a Democratic problem specifically, but I will say this. I invited Ross Wilburn on the show, and all, the, all, I got from, all I got was um, was a response saying, um, he's not available. He's not, he's not going to be on your program. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, I get Republicans who are willing to be on this program. Hey, I got to run to a break, uh, but Joe, let's, um, let's talk about that a bit more when we come back. Um, stick with us, folks i got to recognize a couple of our local sponsors back in a minute. All right, folks, um, again, thanks for those who are listening and uh, who support this program. Thanks to also our local business partners, including psychiatrist Dr. David Drake. Wherever you live in Iowa, Dr. Drake can help through the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling offered on a self-paid basis. Contact daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. Thanks also to Groovy Goods. That's Des Moines' one-stop hippie shop where everyone is welcome and no one is judged. Groovy Goods is a tribe brought together by peace, love, and rock and roll. Learn more at groovy-goods.com or stop in at 23rd and University in Des Moines. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. 
With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Klipsham is adamantly and actively committed to supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Mark knows we must all live and work with the goal of building better health for both people and planet. And he works to implement that vision through his stewardship of architecture by synthesis. You can learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. My in-studio guest today is former Democratic lawmaker and current Trump supporter, uh, Joel Brown. Today, Joel and I are discussing whether or not it's time to perform an autopsy on the Democratic Party. All right, Joel, I, I want to, um, you know, you haven't had a, I think my guest has said a lot more than you have, my, our, our phone callers, rather. <laughs> so I, I want to give you a chance to um, respond to the, uh, the, the kind of the, the big picture issue here. I mean, here are people who have left the Democratic Party who think there's no, no, no possibility of it ever becoming uh, solvent again in a way that it's going to attract voters who used to find a home in it. Uh, and I know, I know people, and we haven't had, I mean, we, we had maybe one caller, but I know there are other people who feel that the Democratic Party can simply be tweaked from within and reformed and become the party that it once was. What's your take? I don't think so. Um, I, I mean, I did think one his point, Dan's point about the constituent service and the responsiveness. Um, I, I guess I can't speak specifically to that. I don't. It's been a long time since I've been in the legislature, but I would say it does appear to me that I, I that may be driven by the fact that Democrats much more than Republicans are in service to kind of a utopian ideology, and that's what matters. So it's the end result is what's going to matter. And so some of those things along the way become less important. And you know, among those, responsiveness to, to constituents, because you know, if I know what's going to create utopia, then I don't care what you think. If you disagree with me, you're you're just wrong, and you're holding us all back. Um, you, I mean, utopia—that's a bit. I don't. I don't think I know too many well, utopians, except yeah. maybe a few high school students. Well, I I, what I would say, <laughs> maybe, but I mean, what I would—I guess that may be phrasing it a little strongly. But I think that that well, I don't think it is though. I mean, I think it it's it's this belief that you know people can be perfected that everything can be perfected if we just have enough you know control over things if we just arrange things just right then it's all going to be wonderful and and perfect okay. and everybody's going to be happy and so th that, be that's not possible that is not possible and so and, is it yeah. possible to replace sort to reform the democratic party could could you see the democratic party becoming something that you would want to be a member of again 
I mean, I don't know. You know, I mean, I would say at this point, no. Um, I mean, mm. I, I have no plans to go back. I, I Nothing that's happening, you know, does anything but confirm my, you know, my, my decision to leave. I mean, things do change. I mean, you know, I think. Yeah. Let me, uh, let me grab a call from uh, Frank from Des Moines. Hello, Frank. How are you? Well, hello, Ed. How Whoa, you been? Good. What do you got? A megaphone in front of you, there, buddy? Hey, hold on, Frank. Let me let I me wanna... let me have Joel finish that thought, and then I want to get your take. Um, I just, I mean, I think you know, and I think we talked about this the other day that we, you know, we may be at that you know moment in national history where a party dies and a new party begins. Like um, the Whigs went the way like the Whigs, of the dinosaurs, the, and then the Republicans took their place. Right. I mean, people, you know, the, the first Republican national election was was Abraham Lincoln's right. election. So, right. I mean, those things do happen. I don't see it reforming in a way that would ever make me want to come back. To All it. right, Frank. Uh, welcome to the show. How you doing, Ann? Good. I'm guessing you're not another disaffected Democrat. <laughs> I'm disaffected everything now. <laughs> I'm a Democrat. Really? You're not a Republican either? No. Yeah, I'm not going to vote anymore, brother. You're not going to vote. You, you, you and Lisa. Done voting. You're I done voting. My last vote in 2020. Okay. Well, what about the maxim that if you don't vote, you can't complain? Well, I guess I won't complain. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think about the Democratic Party? Uh, replace? Re well, Ed, repair? You, you, you know, I, I followed you for quite a while, and I know you got a finger in your chest. It's talking by uh, Joe Biden, and uh, you was trying to talk to him, I think, about something. And climate change. Climate chest, change. But you, vote, you voted for him anyway. Yeah. Well, I told him I would. I'm a man of my word. Well, okay. But you're a little bit more left and progressive of Joe Biden, aren't you? Um, I disagree with Joe Biden on a bunch of things. Um, my concern, I, I see Donald Trump as a very evil and dangerous person. Uh, I know I, I know Joel and I disagree on that. Uh, and you and I may disagree on that as well. But you said you didn't vote. Um, Joel, have no, you... No, I voted in... I voted in 2020. I'd uh -huh. say that's my last election I'm voting uh -huh. in. Okay. Who did you vote for, may I ask? Uh, DJ. Okay. Donald Trump. Okay. Donald Trump, DT. Right. Got it. It's been a long time since I've uh, talked to you. Uh, good to hear you again. Oh, I didn't you're just know saying. you was on at 4 o'clock last time I talked to you. I think you were broadcasting at 11. I like to keep it moving, so, keep people um, guessing. Yeah, you got to be a moving target, you know. <laughs> well, if you're going to be stalking me, I've got to be. I got to be mixing it up. Yeah, I, I wish we didn't have a two-party system. I wish we had a system that allowed multiple parties. We don't, unfortunately. Reality is, we've got a two-party system. As Joel pointed out, we used to have the Whigs and the Democrats. The Whigs became irrelevant. They were replaced by the Republicans. The Democrats almost became irrelevant in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and were threatened by the populists. And um, now it seems like we're to the point where um, <laughs> maybe maybe both parties could be replaced. I don't know. Uh, what well, are your thoughts? I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you, Ed. The, the Republican Party. You know, a lot of people said Donald Trump destroyed the Republican Party. I think guys like Joel Kurt and I. This, if that's who you're talking to. Um, I, I I talk to Joel sometimes. Sure. Just 
Other Joel. Okay, well, yeah. well, well Joel Curtinitis is one of those guys who put forth the notion that, that, that Donald Trump destroyed the Republican Party. The Republican Party destroyed the Republican Party. Donald Trump didn't have anything to do with it. Donald Trump was an opportunist that came along, and he plucked some people from Bernie Sanders. He plucked some disgruntled uh, Democrats. He, he got a lot of Republicans because he, he had a populist point of view like you, build infrastructure, sound borders, build walls and jobs. That was his four main pillars, his four main pillars of his of his uh, uh, platform. Okay. Now he got into some other things, obviously. But much like the Republican Party is going through its battles, the Democratic Party is headed for one of these purges, too, because you got people on the extreme left, left of Joe Manchin, left of Kristen Sinema, left of some of these people in your party who you would used to call, quote-unquote, the moderates. And these people are fit to be tied because, uh, you know, Manchin wants to hang in there for the Hyde Amendment. Manchin wants to not spend this into oblivion. And so you guys are going to have a cleansing and a, a, uh, a purging in your own party, would you think? I would think so. Uh, Frank, uh, I, I've only got a few minutes left, so I'm going to say thank you for the call. And give Joel a chance to uh, provide a final analysis on that. All righty. All right. Well, thanks. Uh, maybe I can uh, do this again next week. Uh, if we're lucky. All right. <laughs> thanks, Thank Joel. You. All right. Bye-bye, Frank. So, Joel, what about that? I mean, <laughs> we've had people all over the board today. Here's uh, yeah. a guy who is as disenchanted with the Republican Party as he is the Democratic Party. Well, maybe, I mean, maybe not quite as much. And I would but. say that's true for me, too. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't really... I, I mean, I definitely, you know, see that Trump jumped into a void there. So, I mean, I think that's true in both, in both cases. So, you know, it's it's I, our whole system. Um, is that is, the same is void that Bernie Sanders tried to jump into? I, I would say, yeah, that's probably true. I mean, I just don't think our system is functioning properly anymore. I mean, not in the way that we used to expect it to. And I think a lot of that has to do with, with the money that's being concentrated so, at the top. So, Democratic Party. Dead or just well rested? Um, or I mean, dead I would, or on life support, I, which I, I, I would maybe say, that's a better metaphor. Well, I, I mean, the Democratic Party that I belong to is dead. Um, I mean, there's something there that continues to exist, but okay. it's, it's so reforming it is out of the question. I think reforming it, replacing it is the way to go. I think replacing it, yeah. How does that happen? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's you know, I, I think it's a mistake to try to build that around a presidential candidate. I mean, I think that a lot of people thought that was going to happen with Trump. I think it has to be ground up if it's going to be done. Okay. It's, and from the ground up, not just in one little enclave, but all over the country. All over the country, yeah. So a national movement that's locally based. Yeah, I would say that's, that's I mean, that's the only thing that's, because I think that's what where the Republicans came from. It kind of percolated up out of the, out of the you know, mm. anti-slavery movement. Yeah. Joel, well, um, uh, thank you uh, so much for joining us. So, folks, we've been talking with Joel Brown. And uh, we do have more conversation coming to you here from the uh, Fallon Forum. Kathy Burns is going to join us. We're going to be talking about uh, chestnuts. You know, that's our farm and food segment. And uh, I'm learning things about chestnuts that make me think, hey, chestnuts, not a bad deal. And I know, Joel, you're a, a former farmer as well, so you might be interested in that conversation. Anyway, chestnuts, they're not just about what you roast over an open fire. Back in a minute with more conversation on the Fallon Forum. Mm -hmm. 
Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Welcome back to the Fallon Farm. Ed Fallon with you here, folks. Kathy Burns is going to join me. Thanks to our local business partners, including Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. You can order groceries online. And Gateway also offers catering and floral services. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. So Kathy, uh, yeah, I know Christmas is not that close, but... Um, <laughs> well, we haven't had Halloween, so it's time for everybody to put those <laughs> displays in the stores, right? So, disclaimer, this, uh, this conversation has nothing to do with Christmas, even though when people True. think of chestnuts, they think of them roasting on the open fire. That is my favorite Christmas song, the one called Christmas Song. But there is a um, is a is a very viable agricultural conversation to be had about chestnuts, uh, which I guess are finding a growing market. From what I'm hearing, well, the market's always been there, from what I can understand, and I think it's going to continue to grow. I've another disclaimer: I've never eaten a chestnut. I've eaten a cricket, but, I, <laughs> but I've never eaten a well, chestnut. Well, I've got you beat. I have eaten a chestnut, and if I had to do it over again, I would not trade the chestnut for a cricket. I think I would rather eat the cricket roasted over an open fire than encased in chocolate and gooey like I had it. But back to chestnuts. <laughs> Ed, guess how many chestnuts? Crickets <laughs> roasting on an open fire. Oh, God. Anyway, keep going. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that either. Well, Ed, guess how many pounds of chestnuts Americans eat per year? Oh, gosh. Um, several tons. Like 20 tons. I don't know. Like 100 tons. Seven and a half million pounds, pounds. a year. Okay. Seven and a half million pounds a year. I'm not going to do the conversion, but that's no, a lot of chestnuts. Yes. Um, and where are, they, where are they grown? Well, the strange thing is very, very low percent of those are grown in the U.S. Really? Most Most of the chestnuts eaten in America are imported from China, Korea, and Italy. But we can grow that type of tree here. Well, we can. In yeah. fact... Um, I mean, horse chestnuts, that's a different animal. And those are not they're good horses. to eat. They're horses. Well, no, they're, they're not good. I mean, I'm, I'm familiar with horse chestnuts because I know about my wild plants and I know about those that are toxic and that's one of them but well, there's no connection to the edible variety. No uh, chestnuts used to grow prolifically in the U.S. especially on the east coast and and, and the D.C. area was was a really big uh, spot for Didn't chestnuts. did some blight kill them? Yes. Okay. Uh, 
back in the early 1900s, somebody decided to import a different variety of chestnut trees from Japan, and those brought with them a, a fungus that the American chestnuts were not resistant to. And so wow. a, a, almost all of the, well, good, <laughs> who knew? Who knew? Who right? knew? you got to try new things. But by, ni- by about 1950, there were about 4 billion American chestnuts trees that had been killed by wow. that fungal blight. Wow. Um, however, the interesting thing is that the roots of chestnuts can live in the ground for a long time after the tree is gone. And that's how some people are finding and regenerating some of the areas in the forests where chestnuts grow. They, they start to try to grow up in a forest, and of course they don't get the right light and mm. nutrients. So some folks are finding those and um, trying to selectively clear okay. for those. We have one farmer here in Iowa, down in southeast Iowa, that is making an income raising chestnuts, I understand. Uh, that family situation? Yeah. Uh, in fact, I got to participate on uh, a call, a panel discussion with, um, I, I'm, I'm trying to get you, get his name here. Yeah, Tom Wall. And uh, he and his wife have Redfern Farms where they grow chestnuts uh, for people to come and pick mm-hmm. off the ground themselves. And um, a lot more folks in the U.S. are getting onto the chestnut market. There was a story in uh, Nebraska Public Media about a farmer who had most of his acres usually in corn because that's going to give him the, the best yield, and he wanted to differentiate his crop. He took five acres and put it to chestnuts, and within three years, he was getting a better income from his chestnuts than from his corn, and he felt like the earth was better. So you can get a chestnut, you can plant a chestnut seed and get a tree that's producing fruit, nuts call them, in what, a few, just a few years? It sounds like it. It sounds, seems very fast. It seems very fast, and yeah. I'd like to look more into that. I don't know if you mm. plant it from the seed or if you have to graft Frankly, I'm not. I'm not schooled so on that. Why it says seven million, seven million plus pounds of chestnuts consumed a year in the U.S. Why is the number growing? What's uh, what's driving the increase? I think it's the cool thing now to eat more chestnuts. <laughs> also, also our with your cricket sandwich. Our, our <laughs> friends who like to be gluten free uh, may be using chestnut flour. Oh, yeah. I see that it can be made into a flour that sure. can thicken soups. It can thicken your cream, your sauces and things, and also provide some pastry um, flour-type benefit, and then it is gluten-free. So that might be part of it, but I, I would, we need to get some chestnuts. We need to contact Redfern Farm probably and see if we can go pick some chestnuts. So other than roasting over the open fire or the previous uh, uh, recipe you suggested there, what does one do with a chestnut? Well, um, well, they're they're nutritious. Okay. You can you can have your health benefits. Um, but by, how do you how do you prepare? Them. How do you eat them? Well, let me tell you about the health benefits okay. first. Okay, health benefits. Go. <laughs> well, it, it, what I like about it is that they're rich in vitamin C, and so that's no wonder in the winter that that would be a popular thing because right. your vitamin C intake in the winter can be on the demise if you rely on other fresh um, fruits mm-hmm. to get your vitamin C. Um, I think. Um, uh, also, just the, the fiber in that helps you control your sugars a little better because you're going to feel full longer and you're going to get some more natural sugars in your diet rather than um, the, art of the, the processed sugars. Right. Uh, it's also supposed to be good for your heart health and your digestion. Um, 
so I'd, I'd really like to try some chestnut products. There is a canned chestnut puree, which um, I'm not sure where the chestnuts come for that. And it, that doesn't sound as cool as picking up a chestnut off the ground and taking it home over your open fire. But <laughs> sounds like you can make a pretty uh, tasty ice cream with chestnut puree. Oh, now you're talking my language here. I know. It sounds good. Chestnut ice cream. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Um, some other recipes I looked up were, for instance, chestnut stuffing with bacon and cranberries. And I think that's a common use in the holidays in the U.S. is for you know, your turkey stuffing, mm -hmm. to put some chestnuts in that. I think that adds a nice earthy, mm. sweet flavor to that. Um, you can also roast them along with your other root veggies in with your pork or your lamb roast. Um, you know, we just had a lamb roast, and we had potatoes and turnips and carrots and onion in that, and um, sounds like chestnuts would be a welcome addition. I also saw that you could include them in a veggie or meat pastry. Mm -hmm. So that would add this nice kind yeah. of Well, and the other thing flavor. is, you know, we, we work on the uh, Des Moines Food Security Task Force, and one challenge that the city faces is how to raise more food in the city. And there's lots of different places you can raise food, rooftops, backyards, community gardens. But, uh, you know, edible forests. And we've, mm -hmm. we've, had, we've had guests on this program from Wyoming and other places who are doing great things with edible forests. And it sounds like a chestnut grove would be a perfect inclusion in an urban forest, an I edible urban forest. Highly, highly would recommend that. We can't grow chestnut trees here at Birds and Bees Urban Farm. We just don't, well, we don't, don't have the we space. Could, yeah, we could grow it on the, on the roof, maybe. Well, the challenge, though, the, <laughs> the difference is if you think of an edible forest, you think of maybe... Uh, a tree that produces a fruit that you can grab and eat, like an apple or a pear or um, cherries, something like that. And this takes some processing. Um, you do have to either boil it or roast it to get the meat out of that right. nut. But, you know, even still, it sounds easier than what you would have to do to eat a black walnut. Uh, I mean, <laughs> that's, I mean, I mean, that's just, labor intensive. Gosh, you, you, well, you pick them up, that's easy enough. And then you gotta you got to take the husk off. That's not that hard. You stomp on them. And then you got to wash them probably 10 times. Mm -hmm. You wash those nuts 10 times to get the, the stuff off it. And then you got to cure them. And we made the mistake of curing them in, in the guest bedroom one year, and, the, and a squirrel cut through the screen to try to eat them. Yep. <laughs> and then the real hard part comes to cracking them. They're, they're a hard nut to crack. So I'm guessing even if you got to boil your chestnuts, that sounds easier than what we have to go through for walnuts. It does, and it sounds kind of, you know, cool, old-fashioned, romantic to throw them over an open fire and hear them pop, 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 as in the song. Uh, I'm guessing that's not real practical <laughs> Sleigh Ride, either. I think, is this yeah. song. No, what is the song? But um, no, it's not very practical. We can't do an open fire here. Um, right. we, don't have, we, don't have a, we have a chimney, but no, no fireplace yeah. in there. Well, there you go, chestnuts. Folks, if uh, you know people raising chestnuts in your area, let us know. We'd like to spread the good word about chestnuts. Um, and yes, if I'm given the option of eating a chestnut or a cricket, you know where I'm going to land. <laughs> hey, thanks, uh, Kathy, for joining us today. You're welcome. Thanks to our guest today, in-studio guest Joel Brown. And thanks to those who took the time to call in and share their thoughts with us about the uh, future of the Democratic Party. Thanks to the Fallon Forum production squad of Sherry Herdina, Forrest Detterman, Charles Goldman, Kathy Burns, and myself. Ed Fallon. And thanks also to our local business partners at Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Westrom Optometry, Groovy Goods, and Dr. David Drake Family Psychiatry. Thanks also to our nonprofit partners, Bold Iowa 
and Birds and Bees Urban Farm. And remember, your support for this program matters a lot. Sign up for my weekly email on the Fallon Forum website. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and listen to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast platform. Thanks again, folks. We'll be back next week with another hour of Cutting Edge Talk Radio.